Hi, and welcome to Woody Arab Yarns, a podcast designed for wool growers with a passion for wool quality and for profit. These podcasts are about interesting people, good conversations and helpful insights. Insights which have helped Woody Arab become one of Australia's leading merino studs. We do hope you enjoy the conversation. In this first episode, Elders Stud Stock Specialist Russell McKay interviews Dr. Paul Swan, who has been a technical advisor to Woody Arab Merino Stud for 25 years. Russell and Paul discuss some of the challenges and opportunities facing West Australian merino breeders but also some really helpful tips and tools to allow breeders to drive their enterprises forward over the coming decade. We do hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. My name is Russell McKay. My main role in Kitanning is as a commercial agent and a merino breeding specialist with elders. We've been doing that for 30 years. Kitanning's our home and it is the centre of the WA sheep industry. I class a lot of commercial flocks in the area and select rams for many clients. These clients have very good flocks. They're very traditional. They cut lots of good wool. We select rams on traditional methods of frame, constitution, wool quality, micron, fleece weights, the traditional methods which have got our sheep to where they are. I have a question really on where do we go from next? How do we get to the next level of production in our sheep? Apart from good management of pastures, which I think our sheep are very, very good now. Now, it wasn't long ago, older, older generations of people said, you can't grow heavy-cutting, fine microns on big sheep. Well, we've proved that to be so far wrong in the last 20 years. We're cutting large amounts, eight kilos of 19, 20 micron wool, on a 75, 80 kilo frame. I think we've done that very, very well. But how do we get to the next level? That's what I really would like to investigate. We need more than just heavy cutting, large frame, white walls, and the best drop ever. We need more detail in our sheep to go to that next level. I'd like to introduce Paul Swan. Paul and I have had a lot to do with each other, involved in this state with, uh, with a couple of major studs. But more importantly, Paul gave me a hand with a couple of clients last year who really wanted to push the boundaries and move to another level in measurement. They've got good, good flocks, but where do we go from here is my real question. So, Paul, we had great success with these two clients. I really enjoyed the program. I found it so exciting. So where do we go from here, Paul? How do we get into this more measurement more detail to know that we're going to achieve our goals in a 10 or 15 year period. G'day Russ, and thanks for the opportunity to be part of this. The key thing for a lot of the listeners to understand is that the sheep breeding uh, job is not so much breeding the sort of sheep we needed to have 10 years ago and resting on our laurels. It's about breeding the sort of sheep we need to have in 10 years time. That's only five generations or less of Merinos. So, and particularly you've got to deal with what's happening in the WA industry. Your climate's changing. Uh, if you, you've been in the last and 30 years. Are. And your markets are too. So there's yeah. been a, when you think about the last, uh, it's affected us and certainly affected your clients. The last 30 years has thrown up some pretty big changes. So you've had, you know, a 40, basically you've been in a 40 year drying phase where you've lost um, autumn rainfall. 
you've got shorter springs and you're getting more falls in summer when you actually don't need it or you can't really use it in a, uh, your classic cropping environments. This is putting pressure on not only stock water, but it also means the lambs that you drop have got to grow very quickly to get to a saleable weight because the laggards, lambs that are inefficient at growing, you've got to feed when the, the green growth stopped. The second change that we're dealing with is in the markets. You know, sheep, as sheep numbers have declined, uh, one thing that's also happened is that our international and our domestic sheep markets have grown. You look at the prices and the price trends. So there's an increased pressure for your clients, for WA growers, to have their, their lambs survive, have their ewes get pregnant, um, and make sure that ewes get back into good joining form for the next go-around. So it's about lifetime production of their lambs. And I guess the third change is a shift towards a planar type. And there's undoubtedly pressure coming from the far end of the pipeline uh, towards a, a non-mules type. Now, in doing that, in, in responding to that pressure, it's very important to keep a balanced view, not to drop the bundle when it comes to fleece weight, not to drop the bundle on ewe production, okay? And so when you put these three forces together, the way I see it, the, the people that are buying rams and investing in genetics to breed lambs with the genes for excellent growth, excellent carcasses of high quality meat, really good reproductive performance, and a plain bodied but heavy cutting all their life, not just as youngsters. Well, this is a perception, Paul. I'd like to interrupt you there on that. Yeah. The perception is you've got to give up something to get heavy, to get your sheep cleaner, to get them to grow quicker. Now, I'm not too sure that's correct. I, I think our merino is a completely man made animal. Now, when it came off, off the boat as a, in South, well, when the Saxon merino came in, yep. I think they were 40 kilos and they cut a kilo and a half of about 24 micron wool because I thought it was fine. We've come a long way from those Absolutely. from those days in a very in a relatively very short period of time. And Marino is completely man-made animal and we can make it do whatever we want, but we've got to have more detail to be able to do it. That's why Absolutely. Australia is a really proud story of how Australia has led a genetic revolution. It's been over 200 years going from a small, wrinkly, short-stapled thing that we inherited to the modern merino. And there's been a number of major technological steps. So there was the, the Rambolais in the 1800s. You had guys like Art Collins, uh, Sir Walter Merriman, where uh, people have described them as the Michelangelos of the bush for the impact they had. And like in WA, you've had a pretty, pretty strong... Tom mm. Cully, exactly. You've had a pretty strong emphasis on those Wonga and Collinsville genetics in your state, okay, which dramatically changed the size and the productivity of the Merino. For the last 20 years have been very much about finding those sheep up without loss of fleece weight. And I know that the genetic trends in the last 20 years, the Australian industry should be enormously proud about because our sheep have, not only have they got plainer, but they grow faster, they're heavier cutting. Um, we've made some really good progress on our carcass genetics, which is something we'll come back to later. And it's an interesting thing now. And my benchmark is for a lot of um, merino growers, each one of their merino ewes, every ewe lamb that they drop and they keep on their farm, should in their lifetime be putting about 1,000 to 1,500 bucks worth of productivity in that grower's pocket. It's like if, if you're charging them rent, you'll be keeping an eye how much money they earn for you, okay? Now, if you think about the merino 
use on your client properties, they should in their time on those farms, should be generating four to five lambs. They should be cutting 70 bucks worth of fleece wool every year themselves. They should be uh, still productive and well-structured when it comes time to sell. So other people, you look at the restocker market. So if you think about it, this issue now, we can have our cake and eat it too. If these, but if these sheep were easy to breed, if these ewes had put 1500 bucks in your pocket in their lifetime, were easy to find, everyone would have them. We need to have better selection tools, a finer filter, and you have to find the studs that have invested in that information. Not every sheep suits every environment. True. In any one district, especially in WA, you know, we can have five or six different soil types, okay. five or six different soil types in one paddock. Every farmer runs their property different. So right. that's what makes our merino so, so great. Not one type fits all. That's right. And you've got the sheep that adapted really, to different environments. Yes. And, and I use a theory. I think my main role is trying to adapt the sheep to how people run their, how clients run their properties. Um, yeah. Because generally leopards don't change their spots. And if that's how people run their sheep, well, you've got to try and find a sheep which does well in that. Correct. So, you know, this fineness we keep on coming about, is that so important? Do we need, can it be on a, a 22 micron sheep? Does it have to be a fine wool sheep? Russ, there's one of the things that's happened is that with our flock, our micron profile for our clip, is we now have essentially two clips. We have a, a small, 28 micron average clip, about 40 million kilos of that we produce in Australia every year. But we also have about a 200 million kilo merino clip, which averages about 19 to 19 to 20 microns. And the key thing we've learned is that you can have very highly productive 20 micron sheep that don't have a lot of coarse edge. So if the grower, if the breeder has selected essentially for fine primaries, for narrow distributions, you, a couple of things happen. You do have a, a sheep that is of a frame size and a ewe that's of a growth profile that she can comfortably rear lambs and mature quickly. She can produce a lot of wool, but it is a, a lot of wool that is suited to the, the modern textile markets. You know, in the 1920s and 30s and 40s, a lot of our wool went into military wear. The armies of the world used to wear great coats, things like that. Those markets don't exist anymore. Okay, our, our primary market in Australia and our primary competitive strength is the fact that we have more fine merino ewes than any other country, okay? Mm. Now, our product goes into the highest value uh, textile products. The merino T-shirt I'm wearing under this top is uh, it's about 200 bucks or 300 bucks of retail for every kilo of T-shirts you sell. And... That's a big investment for consumers to make. If you think of the suits, you'd probably be able to dust the, blow the dust off a couple of suits because you wouldn't wear them very often in your yeah. job. But uh, yeah, suits, been going to a few lately. suits are um, yeah. most the typical price uh, to, to buy a kilogram of suiting at retail. People typically spend 600 bucks to buy a kilo or more. You can easily spend more. Um, this compares to like the blanket market or the, the carpet market where you're talking a much, much lower price per kilo. So our growers have adapted. We are the premier supplier of the most valuable wool. 
as our sheep numbers have gone down, would you believe the value of our clip has gone up over the last 20 mm. years? It's a story of great pride. My challenge for everyone, and it's your challenge too, is where do we go to from here in, in 5, 10, 15 years' time? What sheep should our clients have bred? What genes should they have been able to find and incorporate? That's the key issue well, because those 10 years will come, come by quickly. It's a very key issue. We've talked a bit about our wall and, and where yeah. we're sitting and where we want to be, but we're in the sheep game and we've got to produce yeah. more sheep. We Absolutely. need higher survival rates because at the moment we're selling store merino weather lambs going into feedlots at $3.60 a kilo. Now, I just had a big draft went into a feedlot the other day, averaged $189.50 for 540 of them. Yeah. That's tremendous money, Those and they are just a year old. That's right. So lamb survival. But also the growth I don't rate. think the fertility in the years are a problem. It's lamb survival, getting those lambs to live, an extra 10% lambs every year over a sheep generation of five years, an extra 50% turnover in sheep. The, the figures right. just compound. It's cumulative, so, absolutely correct. And, and a lot of people don't realise what they're losing in not, in not improving this stuff in 10 years. An enormous opportunity. And the prices, I mean, you quoted some prices here, let's say 190 bucks for a stool lamb. The prices people are paying over, here, over in the East are even higher. But, um, mm. but the same principles applying. Your ability of your you to rear a single or a twin successfully, and then for those animals to put weight on quickly and efficiently is extremely important. It's become a lot more important and it will continue to become important. And, and it's so important where we are now with our w, with WA, with our short growing season, we need oh, those yeah. lambs to hit that ground, especially in June, July. And we need to be looking at moving those lambs off in that February, March period um, into those store markets or into feedlots those weather lambs and, and the excess ewe lamb, be able to class them as ewe lambs and get them off the farms before our environment deteriorates, before our yeah. land, land use starts to move. And to these some, growth rates, I see yeah. a real profit driver. Absolutely. And, and to put it in context, the national average yearling growth rate in Australia is about, is about five kilos heavier than it was in the year 2000. But you know the top yeah. genetics, like Craig's top genetics... Uh, yep. Woody Arup top genetics, the top sires, their progeny have average breeding values in the 10, 12, 14 kilograms compared to a five average. So that's, they can be six, seven, eight, nine kilos heavier genetically in their first year of life. Multiply that by your three bucks 50. And then what we're yeah. talking about yeah. is serious dollars, but also you've got that ability to turn them off earlier. You don't have to keep them around for an extra month or two feeding them when the green feed stops. Mm. And this becomes actually quite an important driver, both on the income side, but also on the cost side of your client's business. Mm. So those body weight or growth rate, um, does that go back to lamb survival? It does. I, 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 see, I see preg scanning coming in with a potential of 140 to 160%, right, yeah. when the preg scan you use. And yet those people generally are flat out marking 100 to 105%. So we're losing that chunk of lambs. This lamb survival, if we can improve that by 10%, so how do we know, how do we get that, the body weight relate to that? What you put your finger on is one of the most important things for our industry to grapple with and succeed with in the coming years because it's about efficiency. 
and it's about our environmental footprint. But I'll put it to you this way, um, because I've had the good fortune to be involved over the past 20 years in a lot of work, including things like lifetime new management um, and the R&D programs that about reproduction. And the key messages are these. Of course, the grower provides a really important environment here. So if your girls have got pregnant, so if, if you've got a high conception rate, tick, that's a great thing. That's about condition score. It's about how they've recovered from a last lambing or if they're maidens, it's how they've grown. Okay, but then you've got to make sure in that last three months that the ewe is also putting on some conditions that she's 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 on a good plane of nutrition. She's packed away some fat. She's going to need that when um, she's had the lamb, which is the birthing progress process is very tough for them. Um, they've got then they've been filling udders and they've got to uh, lactate these lambs. But then you've also, Russ, the birth weight of the lamb is incredibly important for its survival. Survival rates drop off very quickly. Once lighter lambs are born, the survival rate drops massively quickly. By the same token, once birth weights get too big for the ewe, they also drop off very quickly. So one of the key things here is to make sure that you are also selecting for a ewe that structurally, that in terms of her genes for growth, her ability to grow and to be an efficient you are there because that's also a key platform. And there are genetic correlations between things like the yielding growth rate, the adult body size, but also their fertility, their, their ability to rear lamb. These things go together. To interrupt you there. So I go to a ram sale yes. and I get, I figure out the bigger types of rams, which have already been selected. Does yes. that relate to growth rate just because they're bigger on the day does that relate to their growth rate we know all stud breeders are scoundrels and and and, and crooks but at the end yeah. at the end of the day what you see in the ram, ram agents sale, very very honest and very agents honest. incredibly honest absolutely what you're seeing in the pen is also the result of a bit of preparation and so it's one of the reasons like with with woody arab we we get a fair bit of trouble to benchmark ourselves genetically and put woody genetics into national genetic benchmarking. That's why things are recorded. Genomic tests are taken. So we end up with, we've got really good data on yearling growth rates. You've got both the visual, but you've also got the genetic, the pure genetic information. You've also got the micron, the, the raw data is also provided. So if you think about if the RAM buyer's got a toolbox with information that you need to make a smart decision, you need to give them not only the, the physical tests, you need to make sure they can eyeball the, the ram, especially in terms of structure, but you also need to give them the genetic information. And what we found is the sire pedigree and the sire, like the sire pedigree, there are certain sires that are very predictably throwing particular things and their sons are breeding extremely consistency. Like at Woody Arup, 120175, 140149 are two examples that have been benchmarked nationally and used in a whole bunch of environments. And I think the technical term is they're kicked ass, but they've got the genes for, for rapid growth, for long bodies, for heavy fleece weights. But you can also, with that information, if you're equipped with that, put you in a much better position to look at the rams on the day and make your valuation estimates. Okay, so it's about having the combination, Russ. Picking the biggest and fattest ram on the day doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to have the quickest growth rates. That's absolutely correct. No. We've talked about this a lot, Russ, you and I, is that to take that next level, you need to use a better filter. 
to filter out the unproductive genetics. Because if everyone, if everyone had the sheep we need to move forward, no one would, there'd be no pressure. Yes. I see the ram selection and the genetics in the ram selection so really important because, you know, one ewe potentially will rear you five lambs. One ram will potentially give you 200 plus. Absolutely you know, correct. And th- this is one of the reasons people invest uh, the money to buy the, the genetics that, um, that uh, we're talking about. Getting the sire right, getting your sire selections right is very important. It's not just, as we say, you can have all the information. It's not just how they look, but it's also the genes that they've got. But it's also what their background is, who their mum and dad was, who their mum and dad was. Mm. Because a lot of what happens in the, in the stud industry at the minute too is that people sell first cross sires, essentially. So they're out cross. So they're bought in genetics from somewhere else and they put them in and you get a thing called hybrid vigor. So they can look pretty bloody good. But if, they've, if their genes are a mix of a divergent bunch of genes on the mum and dad side, well, then one of the challenges you've got is how's that ram going to breed? How consistently is it going to mm. breed? And this is all, also part of the picture. This is why studs that invest in pedigree and the genomic testing is so important. And when we put the results up, there's a, a one of the numbers we give for all the traits is called accuracy. And one of the sad things is there's a whole lot of low accuracy information in our, in our industry. But that's like saying, yeah, I think it might be about this, but well, I could be wrong. Whereas high accuracy information indicates that a stud has invested in the, the record keeping and the patient selection and sort of the folding in of the corners that good stud breeders do. That, that, that's got to be accumulated, doesn't it? No, it, it does. You it's, just can't come in in one or two years and say, you're right, we're talking about a 15-year, 20-year program to get that accuracy right. 